The purpose of this episode is to explore common health and well-being strengths and challenges for people with Down syndrome. The content discussed here is not meant as a substitution for direct medical care with relevant professionals. Rather, we hope to share new and little-known information so that families and supporters can be well-informed when accessing medical care. Your child or student's medical or educational professionals may have recommended different practices or procedures that are specific to your child or student. Do not modify or change your child's treatment or therapy plan without consulting with your care provider first. Today on the Lowdown, a Down Syndrome podcast, Dr. Raphael Pelayo gives us a lowdown on sleeping issues for people with Down Syndrome. Over to you, Marla Hanna. Hi, I'm Marla Folden, SLP and co-host of the Lowdown podcast with my awesome colleague, Hanna Mahmood, who's an OT at the DSRF. We're going to pick up our conversation today with Dr. Raphael Pelayo, a child neurologist and sleep psychologist. Dr. Palayo is a clinical instructor at Stanford University in California, and we've been delighted to discuss all things sleep with him. Last episode, we discussed common sleep challenges that people with DS experience. We discussed sleep apneas, insomnias, restless legs, just to name a few. To access that episode, just look for Dr. Palayo part one, wherever you found this episode. We highly recommend listening to that part first, if you get a chance. Now, today we are back with part two of our discussion. We will be talking about treatment options in this section from CPAP machines, supplements, and medication, as well as a few other treatments that are coming out um, in the medical field. Okay, so we're back here with Dr. Rafael Palayo uh, talking about sleep today, which is something that's huge in the lives of all of our families who have kids with Down syndrome. And we've been getting really wonderful information from him and let's keep that going. So I want to talk about treatment for sleep troubles. Like we mentioned earlier, 50 to 90% of our students have obstructive sleep apnea plus or minus other sleep issues such as restless legs or insomnias, etc. Um, let's start with sleep apnea first. So I'm going to give you the short list of treatment options that I know of, and I would love to hear your thoughts up on those. And they would be tonsil and adenoidectomy, uh, maxillary expansion, sometimes other appliances like a mandibular protrusion device, uh, CPAP machine, BiPAP. I think that's the range. Sometimes some supplements. What is there a sequence that we should go through in trying least invasive to most invasive? The issue is that a lot of our families are prescribed CPAP right away, and the compliance is very, very low, if not impossible. So we try to look for other options. I used to sell shoes when I was in high school. And if I sold you a pair of shoes, they gave you blisters. Do I blame your feet or do I blame the shoes? I blame the shoes, not your feet. People say, oh, my kid can't do it. Mm. The CPAP child has probably been set incorrectly. Mm -hmm. mm. And this is the most common thing. The child may have no incentive to use CPAP. They don't know. It's the parents are thinking, my child's future, the ability of their brain to perform, and they have this pressure on themselves to get to use CPAP. 
the kid may not be interested in it. So we got to get the kid to understand what it's about. Sometimes it's best if the parents you see pat themselves, because mm-hmm. then at least the child is modeling this. And you're going to see, when I see a kid who's got sleep issues and snoring, I go ask the parents, hey, what about you? Oh, we want to see how our kid does first. Because goes, uh-uh. No, let's get you on CPAP first. And then we'll get your kid on CPAP. Let's get yeah. you on CPAP. Let's, let's, then you'll have a better understanding of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, the parent says, I can never do it. He goes, well, then I expect your kid to do it. Our parents say, okay, I'll give it a try. So we, let's get the parent's sleep fixed first. Um, the CPAP has lots of different modalities to it and a lot of different masks. And I take care of a family. My, one of, among, among many patients that I have, a wonderful family. I can't repeat their name for privacy issues, but this is a family that have adopted several children with Down syndrome. And they've adopted them as little kids and now they're adults. So this is a family with adult children with Down syndrome. Mm. And they have their kids on CPAP. Struggle, some took to it more than others, but the fact that kids model after each other, some are really bad about it, some are really good about it, but they can see the difference yeah, how they really? do. So parents Kids can use CPAP. And also CPAP masks in particular have improved a lot. So just because somebody failed to use CPAP in the past does not mean it's not going to work now. If the parent tells you the pressure is too high, that's nonsense. The pressure is not high at all. Um, the CPAP machine puts out a pressure between 5 and 20 centimeters of water, or 5 and 25, depending on the model you use. A newborn baby's first breath is about a negative 100 centimeters of water. Babies can inflate those wet lungs. Mm-hmm. So a baby generates a huge a lot more pressure than the CPAP machine is going to put out. But the machines have the leak compensation system built into them. So if the mask is leaking, it's going to blow more air. So a lot of times it's not that the pressure is too high. It's that the flow of air is too high. Mm-hmm. And that's because the mask is leaking. So all mm-hmm. conversations about CPAP begin with getting a comfortable mask. Okay. There are dozens of masks available. we got to find a mask that fits and works well. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not that you have to wear CPAP, it's that you get to wear CPAP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the alternative is a, is a surgery. Right. You, you, can put a, you, can do a, you can do a tracheostomy in any person to yeah. correct the obstructive sleep apnea, but then the kid can't go swimming anymore. It can get infection. So that's not what we want. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we're gonna do. But CPAP came into play historically as a replacement for tracheostomies. And that was a treatment. So mm-hmm. getting to use CPAP is a great tool. And I know and I know it's still, you can't sugarcoat the fact that it's an air compressor attached to a hose over a mask on your face. But when, when we look back on the history of our field, how CPAP sort of has been treated, we're going to say that this era we're now is the golden era of CPAP. It's never been better. The machines are self-adjusting. The machines are built for travel. Um, the machines give you instant feedback on how you're doing in the morning. Mm-hmm. You can do breath by breath adjustments to your pressure. So if, if the compliance or adherence is poor, I always think about what I said about the shoes. It's probably not set right. Mm-hmm. If you tell me, if I tell you, tell me you can't read and I say you need glasses, you put on the glasses and you still can't read. Maybe you don't know how to read or maybe it's your own prescription. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, the, but but the CPAP should, if you really have obstructive sleep apnea, the CPAP should work. Okay. Whether you want to use it or not, it's a separate issue. Yeah. So so yes. the effic- efficacy is first. If it does not, and one of the things parents know, how do I know if it's really working? Simple. If you have obstructive sleep apnea, you snore for the most part. You have the CPAP on, you should have zero snoring. Mm. Not, not less snoring, zero snoring. If you snore even a little bit on the CPAP, it's not set right. Mm-hmm. It should be completely gone 
because the CPAP is supposed to make you sleep like you do and breathe like you do when you're awake. Mm -hmm. So if any of the kids out there have tried CPAP and they snore with a CPAP on, something's wrong. Setting okay. off, yeah. What about some of the other things that we often see with our kids, which are indicative of their sleep apnea, which is things like very strange sleeping positions. So sleeping totally upright or with the fully arched neck, or I mean, we see all kinds of wacky things halfway off a of bed, all mm -hmm. kinds of stuff. Should that also be fully, fully remedied if the CPAP is working? Right. Okay. So the reason that kids get into weird, adults and kids, but especially kids get into weird positions is trying to open up their airway. Mm -hmm. So the kids are arching their back and often have their butts in the air. Yep. Mm -hmm. All they're doing is they're kind of doing um, CPR in themselves, they open their yeah. airway. Yeah, when you learn how so CPR, right. you learn to arch the head back or move mm -hmm. the jaw forward. Mm -hmm. That's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And when you're on your back, the tongue is sliding out of position, blocking the airway, so they'll sleep better, more propped up, even in a chair. Mm -hmm. So that's what they're doing. People with CPAP need to be very restless sleepers. People say things to me like all the time, well, I can't use CPAP because uh, I can't sleep on my back. Yeah. The reason you can't sleep on your back is because you have sleep apnea and the tongue slides backwards. Yeah. But if I get you in the right pressure, in the right position, the tongue will move forward, uh, then there won't be an issue. Mm -hmm. yeah. Have you okay? had? So, so, that, so, so that'll, that, that'll correct itself okay. once you get into the right position. And on CPAP, people will sleep better on their back. Having said that, new CPAP masks have been designed to let them sleep on their side. So, so even in face down, even with face down. So it should not be this attitude that it won't work. Yeah. I had a, I had a kid, you guys talk about dual um, syndromes. Mm -hmm. I had a uh, child, well, essentially young adult, autistic spectrum disorder. And uh, they said, you're never going to get them to use CPAP. They're tactile sensitive. Mm-hmm. And his therapist said, my husband can use CPAP. He can too. This kid can too. This young, young man can too. And sure enough, we just made it. It's not an option. You're going to use this. Yeah. It's not a punishment. It's simply a better, it's just a matter of fact. This is how we sleep. Mm -hmm. you, we use a pillow, we use a mattress, and we use a CPAP. It's just very flat out. It's not a negotiable thing. It's not like if you're a good boy, you get to do this. Or, you know, or um, you, you really did well last night. So we're going to give you a break and not let you use your CPAP. The CPAP should not be a reward or a punishment. It's simply a matter of fact thing that you're yeah, going to be using I, this thing. And I think one of the reasons why our parents sometimes are hesitant to continue with, you know, encouraging their, their kids to wear it is a story that I hear often as an OT. It's like, oh, they'll put it on. They'll, in, they'll adhere to it. They'll, you know, for like an hour and then an hour into their sleep, they'll, parents could go to check on them and it's off. So it's this constant like checking in They're throughout the night. Is it sleep. on? Is it on? So I think that's one thing that I hear from our families is like, we're happy to do it and he's happy to put it on, but he'll take it off an hour later and then I have to keep checking to make sure it's on or sleep with them to make sure it's on. Yeah. Right. Well, what happens is the pressure may be wrong. Yeah. Sleep apnea, you can't breathe. And if you're trying to, if your throat is blocked and you're trying to breathe through a tube in the mm -hmm. tube, and the sleep apnea is not well controlled, it's, you're going to take the mask off. Yeah. So a couple of things about that. First, make sure the pressure is adequate. As I said earlier, that the pressure is not too high, but they still have to be adequate. When you have sleep apnea, you're choking and you're waking up. Mm -hmm. So if the pressure is too low, you're going to chot, you're going to wake up also. So you, gotta, you might need to increase the pressure. The nice thing about modern CPAP machines is they deliver pressure on a breath-by-breath -breath basis. Mm -hmm. The computer algorithm wants to give as little pressure as possible. But all these kids should not be on plain CPAP machines. We shouldn't even be talking about the word CPAP. We should be talking about APAP, automatic positive rate pressure devices. So if your kid is getting a fixed pressure machine, I don't know what's happening um, up there, but 
I still, to this day, every now and then, I see people with fixed pressure machines, old-fashioned machines. Mm-hmm. Well, that machine is not going to work well because the pressure you need may be different when you're on your back, on your side, if you're dreaming and not dreaming, if you gain five pounds, if you take a medication one night. The pressure demands, the, 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 the dynamic flexible airway is going to fluctuate during the night. So you need a machine that, that fluctuates with you. So modern CPAP machines adjust on a breath-by-breath basis. Okay. Yeah. So I always think if the CPAP's not working, what are the settings? Could yeah. be lack of humidification. Could be the mask is wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, like they might need a little bit higher pressure. Yeah. And, and you can set a wide range. Some of the machines, what they're going to do is they're going to test if the mask is off or not. And they're going to hit the highest point and shoot up to the highest point first and then shut off. Mm-hmm. So maybe that ceiling is too high and that too sudden high, yeah. surge of pressure is, yeah. is disturbing them. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, if the kid was able, to, if they did a CPAP titration, not these kids will have automatic CPAP machines. They won't spend the night in the sleep lab. But if they spend the night in the sleep lab and they're able to sleep with the CPAP in the lab, why can't they do it at home? Mm-hmm. We play a game of telephone where the doctor writes a prescription, another company delivers the equipment, somebody else puts it on the child, and then they tell you it's working or not working. Mm-hmm. It, you got to circle back. And I, I want to see my patient with their machine together. Yeah. Even now during the social distancing, it's actually been unique that I can actually do so. Uh, do my video calls, Zoom. I'm seeing people in their bedrooms. Mm-hmm. I want to see the machine and you together. Yeah. And I want to see you put it on. I've seen people put the mask on upside down, many, many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't. They just don't have it in right. <laughs> they just. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And and it angles wrong, and they don't realize that, yeah. or they 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 haven't figured it out, or the vendor sold them did something different than what you prescribed that happens a lot too um they have the wrong hose they're supposed to have a heated hose they put on a simple cheaper hose and then they get water condensation and gurgling sounds and it'll bother them mm-hmm. they, they your child may have allergies and they put in a regular filter instead of an allergy filter most of these machines have the option of a regular filter or an allergy filter you may have the wrong filter inside just mm-hmm. gotta check the little things that we can do yeah, that's really good. Too. So it should not be this. We got to do you on CPAP because we don't have any other choice. Yeah. Uh, but we know you're going to get surgery anyway. Mm-hmm. And then they're kind of doomed to fail. Yeah. As far as the treatment options that Marla mentioned before, one of them that you didn't mention is one of the newer ones is the idea of putting in a pacemaker for the tongue. Have you come across this yet? No. We're no. back here in Canada. Tell us more. <laughs> it's, it's available nationwide. It's been around for a while. The tongue, the biggest thing taking up space in our throats is our tongues. Yeah. And Down's kids have a particularly prominent tongue mm-hmm. as a lot of times. So, but that's true for all of us, that our tongues are the biggest things in our throats. So they've come up with this idea of using the tongue muscles called the glossus muscle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the nerve underneath the tongue that goes underneath the tongue is called the hypoglossal. Mm-hmm. So a hype, there's a nerve called the hypoglossal nerve, the nerve that goes under the tongue. The hypoglossal nerve uh, can be connected to a pacemaker mm-hmm. and that pacemaker moves the tongue forward when you're sleeping to get it out of the way, push mm-hmm. it forward. So it doesn't slide backwards. So you look, your listeners can look up hypoglossal nerve stimulators. Um, That's very interesting. in the U S there's only one brand right now. Okay. Um, but there's, there's going to be more companies I'm sure down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the U S device is called inspire okay. and it's an F- FDA approved to use in adults with sleep apnea. But they're starting to do it also in adults with Downs. And they also can do it with younger kids with Downs who don't tolerate CPAP. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind this device is to move the tongue out of the way. Mm-hmm. It's a real pacemaker. So it's, it's a, a battery-powered pack underneath the skin. The clavicle, yeah. Right, in that area, right? Thank yeah. you. 
uh, in the upper chest on, on the right side, not the left, but on the right side. And then the nerve connects to that, it gets connected to the tongue. And, it's, and there's another sensor for your ribs and it senses how you're breathing. And it, and it synchronizes your breathing with the tongue out of the way. You turn it on when you go to sleep, you turn it off when you wake up in the morning. So there's a remote control because you don't need to have your tongue stimulated when you're awake and you don't want to lose a remote control. So it's a bulky remote control. But the idea behind this is once it's on, you don't have to worry about it. Just turn it on and turn it off. And you don't have this issue trying to find the mask that'll work or not. So that's something that is there. And it's, I think, promising for parents to consider. Mm-hmm. And your adults with your adults with with Down syndrome also can get this done, mm-hmm. uh, with the assumption that the predominant obstruction is at the base of the tongue. Right. You can have obstruction also at your nose. Mm-hmm. You can have allergies, large turbinates, but you can have a combination treatment where the uh, surgeon you can get to the nose very easily. Right. It's outside the it's not, right. The nose is an easier target, so they can operate on the nose. The tongue is trickier to work with because the tongue is a much more complex organ. Mm-hmm. But you can do surgery on the nose and then put in the pacemaker for mm-hmm. the tongue. And then you can have a hybrid combination to open up the airway. And I think that may be a bright future for that and, and our population of, of people with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Have you seen success with things like an RME, like a rapid maxillary expansion, which is an orthodontic treatment to remedy the mid-face hypoplasia, but usually it does result sort of secondarily in more space? Up through the soft palate is that something right, that's done right. there yeah yeah um rapid maxillary expansion is orthodontics do you put in a spacer in the roof of the mouth called the butterfly it's going to give you a wider smile mm-hmm. that's predominantly something for somebody who has a narrow face mm-hmm. a high arch palate mm-hmm. the floor of the nose is a roof of the mouth and if yeah. you can make that wider and you, you don't need inches you need millimeters you just need to make that wider it's mm-hmm. expensive to do that orthodontics is not usually covered so it's not an expense that a lot of people can do on their own. Plus, you have to every day kind of crank up that wheel. Yep. And then once you make the space, now you have to train the tongue muscle to move up there. Yes. So some people will do something uh, called myofunctional, myofunctional ther- therapy, functional therapy yeah. where they train the person to do it. So those things can help. But if the tongue slides backwards, you may not be able to get enough space back there. Okay. Uh, but yes, those are, those are options. The American Academy of Pediatrics does not recommend that as a first-line treatment. They usually say tonsils and anoids first, yep. CPAP second, optimize allergy treatments as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But then you have these other things like RME that may be available. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. All right, Hannah, you can talk about drugs. Yeah, so I um, had some, so we're kind of talking about some of the devices. So I wanted to move on to talking a little bit about medication and supplement options. So I wanted to kind of start off with talking a little bit about some of the medications that some of our kiddos um, have trialed. So what are your thoughts on, or what has the evidence been using drugs such as clonidine or zolpidem, or I think what's something that you call hypnotics um, in some of your other presentations? I've heard you refer to them as that. Sure. Um... There are no, and I know we're talking to perhaps a more Canadian audience, mm-hmm. but um, in the U.S., there are no uh, FDA-approved medications to treat insomnia in children. Mm-hmm. So anything we're doing is going to be off-label. Mm-hmm. Because insomnia is a behavioral condition to some extent, it's very sensitive to placebo. So sometimes when you, take, when you give a child a medication, you calm the parent down. Mm-hmm. Parent thinks, okay, we took something. It's not saying they don't work, but I'm saying it's not as simple as sedating somebody. 
-hmm. Also, it's important to understand that all humans have a heightened alertness in the evening. So if I normally fall asleep at midnight, uh, and the parents say, I want you to fall asleep at 10 o'clock at night, mm -hmm. you're really wide awake at 11 o'clock at night. And if I decide that you go to bed, you fall asleep on your own at midnight, I'm going to give you a sleeping pill at 10 o'clock at night. Hypnotic sleep pills is the same concept. If I give somebody a sleeping pill at 10 o'clock at night, the pills, what they're going to do is, if you are, as an adult, in the mood to sleep, you take the pill, you look forward to sleeping because you know it's going to happen. If I impose upon you, if you, if, as an adult, I give you a sleeping pill, you did not know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You're going to start to feel weird. You're going to start to see things a little bit distorted. You're going to panic and freak out because somebody slipped you something. Mm. And you're going to transition from wake to sleep. So what will happen a lot of times, parents will tell you, is when I gave my kid something for sleep, it could have been as simple as over-the-counter diphenylhydramine Benadryl. <laughs> my kid freaked out. He had a reaction to it. This is called a paradoxical reaction. It's not there's anything special about your child and that medication. It's that you gave it at the wrong time. And by giving it at the wrong time, you freaked out your kid because they did not know what to expect and did not know what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And for in order for you to hallucinate, you have to have the lights on. Usually somebody takes a sleeping pill, they turn off the lights and they go to sleep. If you give your kid something to sleep and now you leave the lights on and you're going to have story time and waiting for it to kick in, mm -hmm. the kid's going to flip out at some point because they're going to like not be able to understand they're going to get grouchy they're going to hallucinate when you transition from wake to sleep there's a phenomenon called hypnagogic hallucinations um so you start to see things you may even hear things and they may be scared and i've seen this happen many times when they offer kids sedation for procedures mm -hmm. the tendency is to underdose them because you're scared or they're going to you know now they're going to react and you give the kid too little if you give me a cocktail, I might think I'm charming. If you give me five cocktails, I'll be asleep, right? So a little bit of, of, of something may disinhibit you yeah. and I may misbehave, right? I may do something, right? But you're going to think differently. That happens with the kids, right? Mm -hmm. They're told to behave, but you give them something that disinhibits them. You start acting a little bit goofy. Yeah. And what happens is you give them too little a dose. You got to sometimes go higher. Most of these things are safe. Clonidine has not been recommended as a, something for sleep. Uh, it, it's a blood pressure medication, but it's often used in psychiatry. It kind of dampens, it lowers the sympathetic tone, it lowers that hyperarousal, and it'll be working that way. But if you've never addressed the core reason somebody's not sleeping, they're scared of the dark, they don't want to be left alone, mm -hmm. their bedtime is too early, whatever you give them eventually will stop working. Mm -hmm. If you have elevated cholesterol, and I say, listen, you've got elevated cholesterol, I'm going to give you this statin. But I never discussed with you your eating habits, never discussed with your family history, what's driving the elevated cholesterol. I'll give you the statin, yes, your cholesterol will improve. But then you say, oh, I'm dependent on the statin because like, without the statin, my cholesterol won't go down. So, oh, you're addicted to statins. I'm going to take them away now. Your statin shoots up. Yeah. That's what we do with these hypnotics. We don't address the reason the kid is not sleeping. We just try to sedate them. And then we complain that we sedated them and they're reacting a certain way. Mm -hmm. You got to use these medications as tools to help maybe take the edge off as you work on the behavioral changes. Mm -hmm. We are going to have yeah. a later bedtime. So sometimes the way to use a medication for sleeping a child is to give them a later bedtime. They go, the parents say, well, that doesn't make any sense. I'm trying to get them to go to sleep earlier. So it's yeah. not really. We're trying to get them to sleep consistently and look forward yeah. to sleeping. Yeah. So giving the medication and make, give them a later bedtime at the same time may make more sense. Mm -hmm. Take the pill just before you turn off the lights. Mm -hmm. right? We're not, I mean, there's a difference between 
sleeping and sedation. Lots of things are sedating. I just mentioned alcohol, right? If you drink enough alcohol, you're going to pass out, but you don't wake up feeling refreshed the next day. You feel like you may feel horrible. A lot of things are sedating. It does not mean you're getting a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super helpful. And, but on the other side, um, what about natural supplements? Because I know um, melatonin is generally the first go-to um, for parents to trial. And many that have come to me about sleep issues with their kids, they're like, yeah, we've tried the melatonin. It doesn't work. Uh, and I, what I found fascinating in a presentation of yours that I viewed um, a few weeks ago was, uh, and I would love for you to explain the melatonin that's available in the U.S. and Canada over the counter versus, um, I guess, comparing it to Europe and the variability in 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 the lots and the doses, because I think that's fascinating. And then if you can also address a little bit more about the timing of giving these medications um, and sure. you know, the dosage, that'd be great. Sure. So melatonin is a hormone made by the pineal gland that signals the brain that night's approaching. We know that morning's approaching because light comes up. I didn't know, but you also need a signal to you know night is coming. So the, the melatonin secretion signals that night's approaching because animals must predict sun up and sun down. And you need to be able to predict sun up and sun down in a planet that's changing, that's rotating. So the melatonin simply tells you night's approaching. In some animals, melatonin elevation means get busy. For nocturnal animals, melatonin does not make them sleepy at all. It makes them, does the opposite. It says night's coming. Mm-hmm. So melatonin should not be a sedating substance per se. It's simply cluing you in the night's approaching. That's at the physiological dosages. At the big dosages, 3, 10, 12 milligrams of melatonin, it actually does have a mild sleep-promoting effect, more for the sleep onset, not for staying asleep. So if your parent tells you, I have a kid who, can't, who wakes up a lot at night, it's usually not going to be melatonin is going to help no. compared to placebo. Yeah. Any right. individual thing may do it. So, so if a parent says melatonin works for me, awesome. There's no need to argue. Um, but if another parent says it doesn't work for me, it, it, it could be that one is more of a placebo, one is more common to the other. But for sleep onset difficulty, melatonin may be useful at, at big dosages. The problem is that melatonin is considered a food supplement in the US and in Canada, and the quality of it is not the same as pharmaceutical quality. So there was a Canadian study, I guess it's been three years now, um, it's been probably two, two, maybe two to three years ago, a study came out of Canada where they found that the fluctuation what was on the bottle to what was in the, uh, on the label fluctuated over 400%. Mm. And it was also not just, um, it, it was also fluctuating wildly within the same brand. It wasn't just like a oh, one brand is better than another brand. There was no one brand that had it, that had it dialed in right. Yeah. Um, and if, especially if it was coming in a gummy formulation, it was particularly bad. And also with these over-the-counter agents, what they want to do is give them long shelf life. So if I'm going to sell something in a store, to have a long shelf life. And the melatonin gets degraded eventually to serotonin. Mm-hmm. So in this one study came out of Canada, 25% of the samples had serotonin in them also, along with melatonin, which is not what you wanted to give the kid. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> in, other, in other parts of the world, melatonin is actually a controlled substance. Yeah. In Europe, mm-hmm. you need it. It's a prescription item. So I know um, Dr. Colin Shapiro in Toronto, you may know Dr. Shapiro, a brilliant sleep scientist, works with children. Uh, what he's told me, if I, if I remember correctly, is that he actually gets his melatonin sent over from Europe mm-hmm. uh, when, he, when he uses it in the pharmaceutical. So sometimes when you read the clinical trials or the research trials about melatonin, they're using pharmaceutical grade 
melatonin, but over the counter, maybe something very different than what you're getting. Mm -hmm. um, in the US, there's one formulation that at least on the label, they say that it's made to pharmaceutical grade and they, and they advertise at sleep conferences. So there is at least one brand name product out there that is said to be um, pharmaceutical grade. At least that's what they put in their uh, literature. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if you want to say brands, but there's one that, I, so I try to use the same brand every time mm -hmm. just because they, they're, they're saying it's made pharmaceutical, but I don't know if it's true or not. Um, Interesting. So that's what you want to look for on that, mm -hmm. on that front. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it should not be uh, a phone sleep thing. Now, sometimes, the other thing about medication is sometimes medications work better in an empty stomach and they may not be absorbed correctly. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Zolbidem, you mentioned, um, works better in, on an empty stomach. So, mm -hmm. sometimes you have wildly fluctuating results. Yeah. And it's because the kid has gotten it with food, some nights, and not others. Yeah. Zolbidem in particular, and a lot of these medications um, that work through the GABA system have a wide therapeutic window. That means that the difference between the dose that will work and the dose to kill you, overdose, yeah, right, is very wide. It's a wide therapeutic window. Some medications have narrow windows, like lithium, okay. right? So they have to take lithium levels because a little bit may work for some conditions, but more of it can really hurt you. Yeah. Um, so then also with epilepsy medications, they'll check levels because they check for toxicity. Other medications have wide windows between mm -hmm. what's uh, safe and what's harmful. Mm -hmm. And Zolbidem is one of these medications that has a wide window. Uh, Valium also, uh, Zol uh, diazepam, they have wide windows, which is why they're sometimes used because they are reviewed as safer to some degree. doesn't mean you can't hurt yourself. A kid with any of these medications could sleepwalk, get up and get injured, fall down, wobble, get, get hurt. So as we say, it's not chicken soup. But within the spectrum of medications, there's some pros and cons to them. Some have advantages. Mm -hmm. one, is a, one is a wet therapeutic window. So with a medication like Zobodem in that class of medications, um, I'll try to aim for a higher dose. Parents say, oh, no, no. Uh, I want to give them as little as possible. And that really, it's implying it's this, yeah. uh, this lack of trust in the, in the substance. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. It's a lack of trust. Um, I want to give them as little as possible. Of course, you want to give them as little as possible. But I'd rather shoot for efficacy first. And if I get side I effects, then I back down. Yeah. But if I go in the opposite direction, I, I'm worried. You know, the exception to that, what I'm just saying is, the first time you take it, go for a low dose, make sure you don't have an allergy. But if right. you're not allergic to the substance, go high, because the whole point is to get you to sleep first yeah. and back down as needed. Yeah. Uh, because otherwise you're gonna get into this situation where the children may have this paradoxical reaction because you give them too low a dose and they become disinhibited and they're mm -hmm. flipping out and they're freaking out. And now parents yeah. think, oh, I'm not going to give them this thing. He, he, he went wild on Agitated. it. Agitated. Yeah. 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 Is there, where does Risperdone fall in that lineup? Is Risperdone is often prescribed off-label here for sleep. Yeah. It's, in a lot of places, it's, a, it's an antipsychotic. Yeah. Um, and your child is not psychotic. So yeah. why give an antipsychotic medication? Some people say, yeah. well, I don't want to use Zobidem because it's um, or, or Zalaplan because it's addicting. Yeah. Yeah, it's addicting, but your kid's not going to rob a candy store to get Zobidem. It's not going to happen. It's habit forming. Mm -hmm. um, and our, our goal, all our kids, all our, all our patients, not just the kids, is to fall asleep easily, sleep through the night, wake up refreshed. Mm -hmm. So we're only using the medication as a bridge to get them where they need to be. So mm -hmm. I'd rather use a higher dose of a proper sleeping pill like Zobidem then go off-label. That's all I'll do with an antipsychotic mm -hmm. because all I'm doing is sedating the kid. Mm -hmm. A lot of them out there that, are, that you're, you're sedating the child. Yeah. yeah, It's knocking them out, but that's not the point. It's more and more yeah. to do some more, some more normal sleep for them. Mm -hmm. um, we're 
going to slowly start wrapping up. Dr. Oh, Pauly, oh one thing, oh, oh, point sure, I want to yeah. make out this, please. Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, absolutely. Something, something happens with medication. Sometimes it says, I gave him the pill and he was really groggy the whole day. Mm. The insomnia, yes. the insomnia something's protective of the sleep apnea. So if you have a child with untreated or mild subtherapeutic sleep apnea and you make them sleep longer, they're going to go more hours without breathing. Yeah. So what you're really seeing is not the, the pill sedating them. It's mm -hmm. that you really made their sleep apnea. You made them sleep longer so they went more hours without, without no breathing care. and other headaches. So you really, you, yeah. you really, really want to get the, um, the sleep apnea well controlled. And you, but you got to be able to do this in parallel. Get, get the sedation or the, the sleeping medication in lined up with the, with the uh, sleep apnea treatment. Yeah. You just knock them out. They're going to sleep worse. Yeah. Because they have, they have more apnea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. Do you need to adjust things like the release time on a medication like that? Or is it usually... Like what time of day to give the medication? There are different medications you can use. Release. I mean, yeah. Yeah. There are slow release. This all depends what you're trying to target. So somebody with sleep onset insomnia is different than somebody with sleep maintenance to some degree. Okay. For from picking medications, some medications are good for falling asleep and staying asleep. Mm -hmm. There are medications that are more on the melatonin side that are more for falling asleep. Um, I, I just remember the, the the brand name, but but I'm gonna get it wrong. Um, uh, Roserum is more of a sleep onset medication. There are medications that do both, both Samra, um, and I'm blocking. And and I apologize because I'm seeing a brand name and I should be using a generic name. It's just not coming to my mind at this moment. Um, but I like medications sometimes when there's only trouble staying asleep. What happens is we get the second wind at night um, in, in the second half of the night because histamine levels are going up. So sometimes we'll target a medication that's an antihistamine in the second half of the night, which is, by the way, how triazone seems to work. So there's a drug called uh, doxepin. And mm -hmm. in the U.S., there's a, a, a branded form of it called Silenor. And that really is suppressing the histamine release in the second half of the night. So you, can, so you don't need to control, uh, control the release version of it. It's just going to suppress the histamine. Histamine is an alerting, naturally made um, neuro, neuro, neurotransmitter. And the brain, you know, if you go to the bakery, you know, when you buy the bread, the baker had to get there before, before the bakery opened to make the bread. There are, there's this stuff going out of the background before you wake up, anticipating yeah. waking up. And that can pop you awake. So you can dampen those signals. Mm -hmm. to get you to sleep longer. So if yeah. it's sleep maintenance, I might switch more to uh, a, a doxepin-like medication. And then uh, somebody with sleep onset, I may do a melatonin preparation. And if they have a little bit of both, I could do a combination. Yeah. I could do a, a low-dose of Zolbidem, for example, or Zaloplan or any of these uh, GABA medications because that's more of a, of a this, the sleep switch kind of mm -hmm. thing. Use those in the beginning for sleep onset, but that'll wear off so that they're not sedated in the morning, but then also combine that with something like Selenor, um, Doxepin, to get them to stay asleep longer than the night. So mm -hmm. you can tweak things, but again, the overall thing is to get a sense of what, why can't they sleep in the first place? Yeah, mm -hmm. right? That's the real issue. I mean, do they feel safe or are they choking? Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I'm very happy that you pointed that out again, is that mm -hmm. it is not a, just a one or two type deal like it has to be looked at the whole overall picture has to be addressed of why the sleep issue is happening from a behavioral perspective from a medication perspective and kind of working on all all things have to all cylinders have to kind of be firing at once to solve the problem so 
Um, and just to kind of wrap up like this, the treatment part of our podcast, and then we're almost done with our time with you. I just, apart from the devices and the medications, are there any lifestyle changes you feel like would help with, with situations with sleep difficulties? Like I know you had mentioned exercise earlier. Um, are there any things you could recommend that parents kind of look into? I like, I like giving, having a reason to get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I like sometimes I'll ask a child or an adult, what do you like to do? What, what do you like? What, you know, what do you really like to do? Yeah. And how about you? How about you do that first thing in the morning? Yeah. Right? And, and then you have a reason to get out of bed. Waking up yeah. is, is um, waking up is biological. Getting out of bed is volitional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if there's one thing that you really like to do is play video games, yeah. play first thing in the morning as much as you like. But if you wake up later, it's just not available. If I wake up early, I can. Some parents don't want the kids getting up too early, but some of them want the kids getting up early. Mm-hmm. But I, I really want you to have a reason to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Something to enjoy, right? As an adult, ask any person about their sleep. You get the same answer every time. Why, um, you ask somebody, why did you get out of bed when you get out of bed? Both of you, if I ask Coffee. either one of you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Why did you get out of bed? You have the same answer, so it's going to have to. So all, you've all could have slept a little bit longer. Yeah. You've all kind of dwelled a few minutes work, longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the issue, right? What, yeah. if, what if there's no I have to with somebody, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the thing. So find yeah. out, as far as lifestyle, what is they looking forward to? Yeah. And I think that, that, really plays, in that plays really well with our population too, because our kiddos with Down syndrome have very low levels of intrinsic motivation as a, as a, as a thing already. So having that extrinsic motivation in any aspect of their life is super important and why shouldn't it translate into sleep as well so I think that's a really good point like hey if you go to sleep have a good night's sleep stay in your bed then in the morning you can do that one thing that you really love to do so they have an incentive you, you, you get to do extra you, can do more you get to do it yeah. extra yeah yeah, yeah the earlier you wake up the more you yeah. the faster you're out of bed the more you can do it yeah yeah very true great um, Dr. Pillay, before we uh, end our time here, as Marla and I mentioned, we could talk to you for hours more, but I know we want to be respectful yeah. of your time too. Um, in your biography, Marla had mentioned that you're on the board for, um, I'm sorry, Marla, I think I totally took over your question. That's <laughs> totally fine. That's totally fine. Uh, sorry. Um, you're on the board of the Start School Later program. I was just wondering if you could kind of briefly give us an idea of what that initiative is about. Super interesting. Sure. Um, We believe that what the data that are said is that teenagers are not getting enough sleep. If you interact with teenagers at any level, odds are you're not, they're not getting enough sleep. The Centers for Disease Control um, data that I remember is that 75% of teenage girls are getting less than the sleep that they need. So whenever you're dealing with any um, teenagers, you should know that you're dealing likely with a, with a group that is sleep deprived. And sleep deprived people, as I mentioned earlier, tend to be grumpy and irritable and inattentive. Car accidents are one of the most common cause of death of this age group. And if you ask them why they're getting enough sleep, they'll often say, well, it's school, the school, the homework. Mm-hmm. And what happened was about 25 years ago in Minnesota, uh, somebody had the idea, what if we just start school later, what would happen? The cynics, and I was one of them, thought, well, just kids are just going to stay up later. Turned out that if you shifted the school's time by one hour, the kids got an extra 40 minutes of sleep every night on average. So, yeah, they stayed up a little bit later, but overall, they got more sleep. And more importantly, the mood improved. There was less car accidents. People were healthier. People were less grumpy. You could, the teachers said there's a palpable difference in how the kids were behaving mm. because they seemed to be getting more sleep. 
So from there, that experiment was replicated and then in other school districts. And they found that changing school start time because the schools are a center of many communities has a domino effect and, and many different situations is a ripple effect. But overall, when you get the kids more sleep, chance to start school later, the kids did better. Okay. So a national organization was funded, not funded, formed, better yet. A national organization was formed by this, all volunteers simply trying to get kids to go to bed later. The American Academy of Pediatrics in 2014 put out a position paper specifically calling for all schools in the United States to start no earlier than 8.30 in the morning. But there is no national rules for when school starts. It's all regional, state, mm -hmm. state by state, district by district. Um, and it's something negotiated to the teacher's contracts. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the movement's been going on and enough data has accumulated that uh, California became the first state in the nation to have a statewide law that passed last October 2019 that all high school kids in the public schools should start no earlier than 30. Now, kids can go to school earlier. Let's say there's, there's, an, there's an elective or something they can do it, but the state could not mandate a child to go to bed before then. Mm -hmm. And one of some of the things that really clinched it and helped drive this was mental health data. Lack of sleep makes people impulsive. Mm -hmm. and suicide is a common cause of death, unfortunately, in this age group. And the fear is that a lot of these kids are not depressed, they're just being impulsive, and lack of sleep is a factor in this. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that by providing them with more opportunity to sleep, you have less car accidents, better mental health. And the data, the analysis of the RAND Corporation has, done, has shown this already. So that was my involvement. They, they invited me to participate in, in, in this, this activity of trying to provide healthier sleep to adolescents, but give them more time in bed. Awesome. That's what that's about. Cool. Mm -hmm. I think all of our families can use that too. Yeah, mm -hmm. impulsivity and poor mood are some things that we see every day. It, it's, it's a real thing. It's actually been measured yeah. in, in adolescents. Um, when you don't get enough sleep, the brain goes into a mode of behaving like something is wrong. Because why wouldn't you be sleeping? Because something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And if something is wrong, we go into a primitive mode of thinking. We must take chances. So risk-taking behavior increases with lack of sleep, both in children and adults. People gamble. The, the longer they stay awake, the bigger, they'll, the bigger risk they'll take. Mm -hmm. So they've shown this with the teenagers, that when they are sleep-deprived on a driver's simulator, they actually think they're driving better when, they, when they're driving, when they're making more mistakes, mm -hmm. which is a horrible combination. You yeah. think you're getting more sleep. And when you get, don't get enough sleep, the brain releases stress hormones. So you get a little euphoric from, mm -hmm. from these stress hormones. So you all of a sudden are feeling good when in fact you're behaving worse. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Thank you so much. So yeah, so, so sleep can definitely help people have better lives and nobody's arguing uh, against the advantages of getting healthier sleep. Yeah, for Absolutely sure. not. We appreciate you joining us today so incredibly mm -hmm. much. This is information that we have needed to share with our community for a really long time and I'm very looking forward to this podcast episode being available for everyone and we will absolutely put links to your new book on the website page um, it's been a pleasure thank you so much thank you guys yeah. thank you appreciate thank you so it. much Dr. Polio we really appreciate it bye-bye next week on the lowdown a down syndrome podcast like I said we were transferring between OBs so our amnio and everything after that initial conversation was handled by our Vancouver doctor, and it was just night and day. Um, mm -hmm. It was a completely different conversation. It was full of light, it was full of positivity, it was, 
you know, she cried in the office with me. Um, she was incredibly supportive. She um, told us all the things of life with Down syndrome, what it could be. And, um, you know, really made sure that we had a good support system in place and um, really followed through with that as well. You know, um, every subsequent visit with her, she was asking and making sure, you know, have you reached out to another family? Do you need connections? Um, and it was just really a very blatantly obvious the difference between one delivery of a diagnosis and the next and what a difference that could make. The Lowdown, the Down Syndrome podcast, is a production of Down Syndrome Research Foundation. Learn more at dsof.org and join the conversation at DSOF Canada on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The Lowdown is hosted by Marla Foden and Hannah Mahmood and it's produced by Glenn Hughes. The Lowdown theme music and George Dew was written and recorded by Rick Scott.